0: A warm servus from Munich and welcome everyone to the High Tech Ventures Podcast. Our mission at Hightech Ventures is to help turn science into a triple P dividend. After decades of focus on purely digital innovations, the wave of science-backed ventures is inevitably coming. And in order to tackle many of the world's most pressing challenges, these high-tech innovations are also highly needed. The Hightech Ventures Podcast gives you the inside look at what it takes to create successful science-backed ventures. We truly want to understand the entire process from lab to IPO and hone in on the people involved. Entrepreneurs, tech transfer specialists, scientists or investors. Most of them working backstage relentlessly. We will talk to those getting their hands dirty, those who don't shy away from the complexity, but see the opportunity to create lasting impact based on the newest advances in science and technology. My name is Annalena Schindel, and I'm pleased to be your host for this episode today. My guest today is Mark Cutter, founder of not only one, but actually two biotech companies, um, BitBio and Meetable, both operating at the very forefront of biology on reprogramming cells. Um, Mark is not only an entrepreneur, but also a practicing neurosurgeon, stem cell biologist. So talk about wearing several hats. Um, I'm super excited to learn more about both the technology and his personal journey um, to where he is today. Um, It's great to have you here, Mark. Welcome.
1: Uh, Thank you, Annalena. It's great to be here.
0: Um, I'd love to dive right into the the technology um reprogramming cells that sort of sounds like this two word very high level summary of what you're doing but but maybe you can um take us down into the depth a little more like what exactly does that mean and how how do you explain it to someone who's outside your field and not not a stem cell biologist
1: yeah I mean generally biologists have uh, looked at you know the origin of cells Uh, they try to understand the components of cells uh, and their function um, but if you look at, uh, if you take a step back, if you look at uh, biology generally, um, you'll see that um, there's a software code at the center of biology. So let's take a human cell, you've got the nucleus, it's like the hard drive, contains the DNA, uh, on that DNA stores all the genes and the genetic programs. And at any point in time, only a part of those programs are active, they are transcribed into RNA. And then this information layer of a cell translates into the physical layer of the cell, the proteins, the lipids, uh, and, and the other structural components. And what that means is you've got a computer in front of you, from which the hard, the software determines the hardware. So reprogramming takes that approach and essentially changes the active program uh, in order to create a new, a new function and a new hardware. That's at the basis of this, um, so it's a very different look at uh, the traditional um, at, at biology than um, very different from you know traditional uh, views.
0: Yeah, I love bringing these these fields or, or sort of the analog in, into this. But how did you get there? Like, what's sort of the background also in in terms of research, and what's the question you started out with?
1: Okay, so why did why did I end up there? So my background, uh, I'm, I'm a neurosurgeon. I, I became a neurosurgeon because I was interested in treating spinal cord injuries. And that's a very difficult, obviously, problem. Um, and uh, it was very clear to me uh, early on that drugs or knives, neurosurgical instruments will be able to make a big difference here. So uh, at that point in time, the idea was born of, of cell therapy. Um, and of course, you know, cells are very different because they can interact with the environment. They can, they can, they can be used to replace cells that have been lost, etc. And so, I was very bought into this, uh, uh, into this concept. Obviously, also a bit naive because it's, it's very difficult. And you know, spinal cord injury is a very difficult problem. But we were trying to essentially study a particular cell type of the brain uh, called oligodendrocytes, and um, and we and we. So we realised that there's a huge difference between human cells and the cells that we've been using in the lab, um, which are mainly rodent derived. And so I was trying to see whether I can get a source of these human oligodendrocytes. Um, and stem, I was very lucky at that point in time because I just started my lab in the Stem Cell Institute in Cambridge, um, which was founded by Roger Peterson. And uh, I was in this environment where we were having access to very early stem cell biology te- te- technology and techniques. Um, but here's the problem. Um, creating these cells took about 170 days, so that's, that's half a year. And you never knew at the, the end of it you got the cells that you wanted. So it was, wasn't was very attractive uh, for my lab, and especially PhD students Um um <laughs> you do a couple of experiments and your phd uh, is over <laughs> so we looked for a different for a different approach and um and um quite um in that context um we realized a few years ago the world changed um the big change i think is the biggest discovery in biology in, the, uh, in this in this century most likely is shinya yamanaka who demonstrated that you can take um a skin cell, a fibroblast, and you can program it back to a pluripotent stem cell, and that's that's a, that's a huge, uh, I think, phase shift in biology because once it allows uh, us to create stem cells from every individual using this new uh, programming paradigm. Um, and it takes away all the ethical constraints uh, in the use uh, of stem cells because you don't know now if you can just produce them, you don't need to chop up any embryos. Or so, and third, there's another thing that happened. He was able to reverse age of the cell, um, but that's by the by. So we jumped uh, on this idea of cell reprogramming and another fellow Austrian uh, living at the diaspora called Maris Wernig um, was also working on cell reprogramming uh, much, uh, much more advanced than we did. And he developed uh, a first, um, he, he sort of studied the transition uh, of cells into, into another type of brain cells called neurons. And he showed that he can program skin cells and liver cells and stem cells into various types of neurons, basically indicating that this programming approach um, could be a a universal principle. By the way, the first programming approach actually was published in the 1980s, but then forgotten. So we um, tried to to use this in order to um, shorten the time frame of getting to the Oligodendrocyte precursors, these stem cells that we wanted, and very quickly we were able to um, get to a program that looked uh, that looked like we we could use it to create uh, oligodendrocyte precursors. But but the problem was that it was very very inefficient. It was in fact it was so inefficient that we had uh, we we were we we tried to figure out why. Um, it was it was working so badly, uh, and that that uh, this is where you know the rest of the field um, and and our approach really diverged. Uh, we dug in. We found out that uh, that uh, a process called gene silencing, basically, the cells recognize that um, you want to switch on a different program and they don't like it and they switch it off again. Um, that uh, that that is the major bottleneck. And then we iterated and tried to figure out a way of of essentially um, tricking the cells uh, into accepting a new program. And um, I nearly uh, lost all credibility, and we nearly ran out of money doing this because it was a very heretic thing to do. Um, But one time after you know two three years. Uh, my student, Matthias Pavlovsky, um, came and showed uh, a, a a video to me in, uh, where stem cell cultures turn into neurons, brain cells, uh, using one of the Marius Wernick protocols. And it, in, in that video, every cell turned into a neuron. This is completely insane. I mean, people did not, I mean, nobody expected this. So I thought that they photoshopped it. Um, as Leon, <laughs> one of these April Fool uh, things. So I so, said, so like, hey, hey, show me the cultures. So Look down the microscope. and Every cell was a neuron. It was just absolutely crazy. And then we thought it's a glitch. And, um, he, and I asked him to repeat this cell with a different uh, stem cell line. And it worked again. And then I thought, oh, this is probably because Maris, who is an incredible scientist, uh, has just found this in- incredible pro- uh, program. So uh, let's find another, let's take another program. Uh, we, talk, uh, we took a mu- muscle program and, uh, and engineered the cells and, uh, and, found, uh, and found out um, that uh, the first time we tried it, everything died. But then tweaking this, uh, the program a little bit, uh, um, suddenly we were able to create muscle in front of our eyes. Um, and that's really sort of how, how you know, that's really when I realized that we found something that's quite extraordinary because we were able to take biology and, and turn it from this fuzzy logic that people, you know, are used to or expect to something that's very deterministic where you actually... Where the input uh, defines the outputs, uh, and you can very uh, consistently and scalably um, create uh, create human cells or instruct them to do uh, what you want.
0: So basically, you're coming. I'm just sort of trying to trying to put it all together again in in my head. You're coming from neurosurgery, so it's like a completely different field. You're you're seeing that these these injuries you can't really treat with with a knife, but you're looking for for cell therapies instead. And, and, and as you said, it's like it, it takes 170 days in the lab to, to, to actually create the, the, the cells you'd, you'd like to work on and, and test things on. Um, and, and you bring in all this like background research, let's say, on, on the reprogramming of cells. But then the, right. the, the key thing here is, if I understand you correctly, is um, sort of looking at... Um, the the gene silencing is what you said right so so, so we're looking mm. at where, where do cells actually n- not do what we're trying to tell them to do um, because they're sort of s- probably saving themselves in in, in a way um, and that's where we're sort of the the key switch came came about
1: that's exactly right so so um, um, we we did not expect that you could turn biology into something that's entirely predictive uh, and uh, uh, and and Essentially, use use the software approach to to program or to engineer a cell type. Um, but when we realized, obviously, you know, we we also realized the potential of this. Um, and and this is when I then eventually started to transition into uh, into you know, wearing an entrepreneur hat.
0: You, you already said like your your credibility was on the line. Like this was not something um, like. Uh... Very like public opinion, maybe, or a problem a lot of people worked on, but sort of you had a like contrarian view on 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 how to get there. Like, what, what 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 drove that conviction of of staying down that path? You said you nearly ran out of money several times. Like, what, yeah, what helps you so <laughs> to to keep Desper- the group yourself <laughs> uh, focused on that?
1: Desperation, I think. No, so what happened <laughs> was. <laughs> What happened was we sort of were engineering and we're trying to use everything that we had, uh, that, you know, the world had to offer in terms of technology technology. Uh, 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 throwing this at, at, at this at this problem, and we were making these incremental steps, so we always got a little bit ahead, and I thought, okay, this is great. No, let's take the next step, etc. And so, and then uh, at, at some point in time, this thing sort of takes its own uh, its uh, its own momentum, and uh, and actually, it's not only our lab that started working on it; it's also um some other labs of the uh, of the um, in, in the in the institute that shipped in um and we got sort to, to a stage where you know it was okay but uh, but um, but equally um, I was told by others that what we're doing is not stem cell biology and therefore wouldn't fit in <laughs> into the into the stem cell uh, institute and actually when we tried to publish the findings at the end um, sent the paper off for a review a very prestigious journal and uh, and I got Back uh, the reviewer's comments, uh, and uh, and the editor reached out and said, "Well, we're not going to publish this." And I said, so, so "Why?" And I said, well, Because it's not novel. And, then, and I said, what do, you, "What do you mean?" I mean, I think this is completely novel. There is nothing, and nobody has expected that that actually is possible. And then uh, she basically hinted that probably you know people wouldn't didn't believe the data. Um, but the data is true, uh, and we've been able to, you know, publish it uh, in another journal. And uh, we've done now, you know, fifteen uh, plus different cell types and disease models. We've raised two hundred million across two companies, so so it's pretty real. Uh, but it's very, I mean, the problem is it touches some of the, um, it really, you know, shakes some of the fundamental paradigms of biology. Number one. Um, the stem cell bi- uh, biology paradigm is the cell is defined by its history. Reprogramming just cuts away with this, um, and we've, in fact, we've been able to to show that uh, reprogrammed cells sets um, its own epigenetic environment, and that allows it to, st- you know, um, stabilize over time. And uh, and of course, this this transition from something. That that you know you can't control to something that you can completely control is is still I think very hard to to digest for for many people. It to me it's still a miracle, quite frankly.
0: Where exactly is the technology at today? Like what what can it do now, and what's also possible once it once it works at scale? Like what's the the vision that's also driving you further?
1: So, so I think we've demonstrated that it works, and it can apply to uh, probably uh, most, if not all, cell types. Um, um, and um, and we've created a lot of different prototypes. Um, and of course, now the heavy lifting starts, uh, which is you know tr- the transition from a prototype uh, to an actual product. Um, and of course, I totally underestimated how difficult this is. But <laughs> but you know you learn and adapt uh, and you build a company around it and systems, uh, etc. cetera. And we're, we were able to launch a number of project, uh, products now that uh, that actually fulfill, you know, very, I mean, they are the most robust human cell products out there at this point in time. People can use for research um, and drug discovery. And where we want to go now is, of course, to lift this and, and uh, into the clinic. Um so so develop the first cell therapy um that's always been the ambition uh of course um and of of course that that is several dimensions more difficult, but if you think about it, every disease affects cells in the body, so in theory, you can treat every disease. With a the cell therapy. Now, I don't think you're going to treat uh, um, a, a common cold with a the cell therapy because that's you know throwing big guns at something that, you know, it's probably doesn't require. It. But you know, there's very there's there's a lot of very severe conditions. You know, think about you know, for example, liver conditions where people die, or um, cancer, um, which has actually already been proven out in terms of, you know, so CAR T cells are able to cure cancers that that were un, incurable uh, uh, until now. The only problem is at this point in time it is horrendously expensive because you don't have um, uh, uh, a scalable source of human cell types. So these CAR T's now cost, I think, $500,000 uh, per treatment. And of course that's not sustainable and you, and this is not a therapy, this, that's an experiment. You really need to a therapy is something that everyone uh, can access to. So that's really and that's really one of the big ambitions. But beyond medicine, I think um on the research side, um you can really make a difference to um the fundamental understanding of our biology. It's human biology, it's very distinct from, from animals. And of course that also plays a role um in drug discovery. So uh um It can help create better drugs. Look, there's a funny thing that happens. Um, When you think about, let's take Alzheimer's. Um, So there's no mouse on this planet that suffers from Alzheimer's. Um, But people are using mice to develop Alzheimer's drugs. So what they have to do is take the mouse and you genetically modify it so that it has something in in its brain that looks a bit like Alzheimer's. And then you take that mouse and you use your highly sophisticated drug discovery process to develop a drug that treats the thing that you put in the mouse. And then you go into the clinic. And then of course, your drug fails, because the thing that you've created in the mouse isn't Alzheimer's, and then you've lost, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of money. And I think if we started, and I think this is really what the industry knows as well, if we start with an actual cell that is actually affected by the condition, you've got a much better chance um to to make a difference and to be successful. So think about at the moment the development of one drug, if you include the failures, costs about two billion. If you double the chances, and I think this technology or the access to human cells can, you know ha- can improve the chances by a multiple, yeah, but if you double the chance, the average cost of a drug halves. Um, which is insane in terms of value that you can create and we need to be better at developing drugs because um, medical knowledge is exponentially increasing so how will we get this into the clinic unless we have a more efficient system of actually you know, doing so and then let's step even further back of course you know there's other things that are made of cells uh, and and i'm of course very interested in uh, in this in this idea of cultured cultured meat, seems a bit barbaric that we raise cattle and pork and then we kill it and then we eat uh, fat and muscle and the rest goes into the bin. Not quite, but um, and I think there should be a better a better way of do, of doing uh, doing this. And and because this technology is so scalable, um, we've sort of. Try to figure out whether we can apply it to this paradigm as well. Uh, this is, the, of course, the next to Bitbio. This is Meetable, um, uh, another company that we've set up, and they are now pushing into the kilogram range uh, of 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 muscle and fat cells. So it's all very exciting.
0: <laughs> Definitely, and love to love to talk more about Meetable um, in in a bit, um, but just sort of listening to you as you're really attacking this problem at, at like three different different levels like um you're you're both sort of creating access to to a cell type that's that's not necessarily there before like you you give the mice um alzheimer's example um you're doing this like in, in a reliable fashion like there's actually it's it's not by chance sort of the outcome of uh, creating cells and you can do it at speed and, and and scale so you you sort of narrow down the the window um in, in all three of these these sort of axes um in, in terms of the drug discovery cell therapies etc and uh, that's that that's super exciting yeah
1: yeah i mean it's a typical uh, deep tech approach isn't it you've got one technology that has multiple applications uh, and you basically develop the technology and then and then you have to think about you know um the business model and how everything fits together that's that's hard, but you know it's a very different it's a very different approach to conventional biotech uh, where you know you have very restricted um platforms or 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 companies. We will see i think more of this the more you know biology pivots into engineering um the the more ambitious the companies are going to get um um, and why not? I mean, think about it um if you look at the big tech companies right now um let's take uh google, for example um they operate uh, on a very small sliver of the economy i mean it's the marketing budgets isn't it i mean it's advertising i mean healthcare is a much bigger uh, much bigger opportunity uh, of food, so I think yeah there must be companies that are a lot bigger than those companies uh, uh, that if if they're operating uh, in a in, in this kind of market.
0: Totally, and um, I mean, you, you mentioned it several times. Where you, you turned into an entrepreneur. You thought, started thinking about about business models. How, how did that come about? I mean, it's not the i don't think every professor at cambridge sort of has that as a next step once once research sort of uh brings about an interesting insight like why why start a company maybe you can take us back to i don't know 2015 16 when that sort of thought maybe maybe started occurring like why a company
1: so so when we saw what we had we went through some some interesting experience it's not only that the Scientific community uh, thought we were nuts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, when we tried to sort of talk, talk to our tech transfer office, um, they thought we were nuts. Um, and so, and so I thought, well, if I can't find someone to, t- to take care of this, then probably uh, I need to. Sh- we need to do take the first baby steps, essentially, and 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 just go ahead and um, and 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 try it ourselves. Um, and so uh we we did this in a very you know very modest way. We started with a very small sum of money and uh and um basically uh put the first comp the, the company together um but uh, at the same time i had uh, uh, some more ambitious friends <laughs> actually who became friends um who who saw what we had um that was done uh learning um uh, and and uh, and and who, who wanted to apply this technology to to the to, to the field of cultured meat of which i had no idea before actually <laughs> and and so so that sort of um helped me to get on to um this learning journey and uh, and in in some ways you know being a researcher running a lab um, is also quite entrepreneurial because you always have to find money and you need to basically, uh, you know, coordinate people and you need to sort of, um, drive towards certain outputs, etc. But of course, you know, this is a bit uh, it's a bit more complex and a bit wilder, um, and uh, uh, and I guess you know. Um, one needs, uh, uh, one needs a certain level of resilience. Um, but essentially what happened was then I was trying to find someone else to do this for me. But, uh, but maybe nobody was crazy enough to, <laughs> to want to take it <laughs> forward. And I got stuck with it. Uh, and, um, and then I started to enjoy it. Uh, and so, um, so, so that's sort of uh, probably one of the reasons why, why I'm doing this. I mean, I think the potential is incredible.
0: De- definitely. Like, what were those first baby steps like? What were the steps you, you figured you, you can't take at the university anymore, but you need, to, you need to get this out?
1: So one of the big things is that the structure of the university lab um, fosters competition. Um, and this is a big problem. Um, and the only way you can tackle this is collaboration. Because in fact, if you think about it, so we have this thing, this technology allows us to activate genetic code, and you can reprogram cells. But now you need to find the the, the programs. Um, you need to basically figure out what makes a, what makes a brain cell, and what makes a heart cell, and what makes a, you know all other cell types. And that's a that's a. If you think about this from our perspective, this this software approach, it's a combinatorial problem of a class of genes that are called transcription factors. So, shall I go that a bit more de- depth, a bit? there's 2,000, uh, human cell has 20,000 genes, 2,000 of them called transcription factors control the other genes, and one to six of them uh, control the identity of a cell. So it's basically a numbers game. You need to find out that you know the the, the combinations of transcription factors that define particular cell types. It takes a lot of experimentation. Huge, uh, uh, high-dimensional space. Um, and what you need to do is create put together lots of different uh, um, you know knowledge bases and backgrounds. So. Um, Within biology, from stem cell biology to screening people to, you know, biologists that have an idea of the cell type that you're trying to produce, then data scientists and ML people and and then automation people. And then suddenly you see that, that that's a big endeavor. Uh, and it's not something uh, that is very easily done in the university, and you can't get that focus, and um, uh, either in in the university setting. And I think that's one of the big reasons, uh, you know, we decided uh, to to set up the company. But then again, also I think what a company does it allows you to focus on the outputs. You know, you you are here to produce something that makes that that has a direct impact and benefit uh uh on on someone else a customer or hopefully a patient um and i've been always motivated to, by impact much more uh, than than publishing papers that was a means to an end to be honest and so and that's really sort of why i think it is the right thing to do um and and of course i had i had you know because I didn't know much about this world I had to find out and again you make all the mistakes that you can and then you find good people uh, that help you correct some of those mistakes such as you know, uh, our early investors blue yard who's been tremendous uh, setting us on this on the right path uh, and all, of course the other investors that now have started to and 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 support uh, are now supporting bit by we've got uh, extraordinary uh, set of, uh, of funds that, that are supporting our journey.
0: I was going to ask about those, like, who are those first both co-founders and, and other supporters? Like, what's their role? Who, who did you find and, and, and take along on that journey?
1: Well, again, you know, um, this is never a linear journey. Uh, and uh, things change, especially during the early stage. But the lesson <clears throat> that that I learned, um, being a complete nerd, is that people matter most. Uh, so it's, uh, it's 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 fascinating. Um, it's not a, it's the technology, yes, but to make it work, it's 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 people, and you make, you have to make uh, them work together and enjoy what they're doing. Um, so so after you know initial. Let's say um, difficult learning opportunities. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I became completely obsessed uh, about you know creating a culture and a team that is fully bought into the mission and the vision of oh, BitBio, and that really wants to do this because it's their mission in life. Uh, and then create an environment where they can actually do it. And again, you know, that's been an incredible learning journey because as companies grow, the complexity within the team grow, and you get these. I think they're very well documented. These transitions, that like phase shifts, everyone's happy, and then within weeks, everyone becomes very unhappy because the structures don't hold together anymore, and you have to redesign the organization, and then, and then people, you know, people find. Maybe more constraint laws, but they then allow them to uh, work together effectively and so I think it's a very interesting uh, very interesting um, thing and of course you know organizational design orientating people towards uh, towards a, towards a goal I think it's very i mean it's, it, it's it's been an incredible journey quite frankly so far
0: can you share some of those key key learning moments?
1: maybe you have a story or two? Yeah, I think um, so. It, let's put it um, back to the first principles. So you've got a technology that seems to be working, and then you need to build the right team. And one thing that you need to be aware of when you start up building a building company—it's not only the team within the company, but it's also the team that uh, that that forms part of the investor set, for example. So it's incredibly important to get the right investors. And, uh, and, and make sure that they are all aligned. Uh, and then, um, and we've been extremely lucky, but also extremely careful, building, uh, building a group of investors that share our vision. Um, and things can change over time, so you've got to constantly think how you basically keep, uh, keep everyone on board. And then within the company, uh, there's a lot about, a lot of effort has to go into um, prioritization. Alignment, you know, because you could do anything with technologies. So making sure that that things are sort of following a path without without becoming too focused, because then you need then you lose the breadth. This ba- this constant balancing act that, that is going on in a platform company, and then as we matured um, to uh, um, to sort of become a much larger sort of startup. Um, we became very aware of the fact that we had to build a board um, that that could help us, you know, um, see b- beyond, you know, our limited horizons, um, and and that that was that was extremely exciting, of course, as well, being able to, you know, find um, such an, for BitBio we, we found an incredible board. Um, I mean, we've got uh, Hermann Hauser, who is credited to be one of the computer pioneers, you know, and uh, he co-created Arm, the risk processor that runs now in, in every mobile phone and uh, and uh, and uh, new MacBooks. And then we have, uh, and he's also been actually um, one of the founding fathers of UK um, VCs. So he, he supported companies like Illumina, which is now of the precursor to so Alexa so, um, so he's turned biotech tech but turned biotech. And then we've got um, Greg winter um, who um, got the Nobel Prize for creating a platform that allows you to produce human antibodies um, so really engineer antibodies um, for for especially for drug use of course. And so he's been through the last, um, biotech revolution, which is the transition from small molecules to biologics, antibody drugs, essentially, and of course, you know, the fact that he's joined us now to help us through that, you know, from antibody to cell therapy revolutions is is, is, is quite extraordinary. Um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, look, I like learning, I, 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 and I and, I, and I, I seem to be submitted to this uh, on a daily basis. <laughs>
0: and and surrounding yourself with with great people. <laughs> um,
1: mm.
0: when exactly did you did you found bitbio? Was it 2018?
1: So 2016 was the com- the company was incorporated uh, and and then I went and entered um because I didn't know much about this at all. Um the Cambridge uh business school accelerator program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that was like, um, that was, a, that was an incredible opportunity to sort of, you know, be exposed very quickly to, to a new world, quite frankly, and, and I really sort of, I think that re- that exposure really helped me along. And then, um, I think a year later or so, um, we, we raised the first Pre-seed money, so that would must have been 2018 or something. During that process, um, and I had some experience in raising money for for, for you know for entirely different uh, in a t- entirely different context. Um, but um, we learned um, that um, that there are big differences between investors. You know, so um, there's one thing that um, hopefully. You know, you know, spans across all investors. They have money that they can invest, but actually, <laughs> but actually, there's a huge difference. It's really important that you are, you know, that investors that are specialised on quick exits and flips, um, and they take a company and they make it look nice, and then they flip it, uh, a bit like in real estate. And then there are other comp- and there are other sort of investors that uh, you know are much more blue sky, um, because they have much larger ambitions, but they also have to have a much longer time uh, uh, you know, horizon in terms of uh, their budgets, and and then and then there's the personality that is behind uh, 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 you know investors. So so all of this sort of you start to realise you basically make mistakes. You have to then correct those mistakes at the early stages. It's easier to correct the mistakes than at the later stages of, uh, of of the journey. And so I was very I was very happy that, well, in retrospect at least, um, that uh, that I made uh, the most terrific and terrible mistakes at the beginning, uh, which <laughs> which cost me a lot of money. Uh, you know, I we had to remortgage and buy out and uh, the company and uh, and rescue it, et cetera, At the very early stage. Um, but then, you know, it makes. Because you... of the wrong
0: people or the wrong.
1: It wasn't well, business
0: decisions at that point in time, probably.
1: It was it was difficult, uh, and and therefore we had to restructure. And so, um, and then, but you know, once you understand, and that it's all about people, then your mind changes. I think it took me a while. I, be, I was a technologist uh, to, to to understand it's it's really all about people, and that's been the focus since. Uh, um, and, and, you know, I think one of the things that we can be very proud on about in, in BitPaya is really the culture that we've built and, and um, you know, and uh, I mean, the science is, you know, is incredible. We're doing something new every day and you just need the right people there. So are we perfect? No. Uh, and it, often the problems are structural. So you see that you know, you haven't got the organization that supports them and people can become very unhappy in an environment that hasn't, that isn't in sync with the stage of the organization and then you have to basically lean in and, uh, and do that. And the other thing that everyone tells you, but it's true, you know, people, um, people not everyone is the right fit for the, for, for the particular stage of the company. I mean, who knows whether I'm going to be the right fit in five to ten years? I, I really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment. Uh, at the moment. But uh, it, it, an organization really evolves. It's like an organism that, uh, that goes through different stages. It's very fascinating.
0: It, it is. I, I totally agree. Maybe you can give us an understanding of, of the timelines as well, because like you already mentioned it, this like you're not looking for an, 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 an easy exit, an easy flip. Um, you're already incorporated as a company for six years. There's probably, I don't know, another five years of research b- before that. And there's like a five to ten year journey at least ahead, I, I guess. I don't I don't know. Like, yeah. wh- where did you start out? Like, where are you now? What wh- where are you going? And and how do you mm-hmm. attract, as you said, like the right people and, and the right capital along,
1: along that path? Mm-hmm. So, so I think, look, the opportunity here is, is absolutely insane. So just think about cell therapies, okay? We've built a machine that allows us to create new cell types programs from scratch. And then we have the, uh, the only platform that allows you to produce human cells at scale. So taking this together, we, can, we in theory, should be able to create every human cell type at scale. And at the precision that's required for medicine, that's like you know a pharma company that owns the entire space of small molecules. Um, so this this hasn't been that that's never been the case um, prior. And so the opportunity is immense, which basically means we have to be very careful not to frizzle out and be, and, and stay focused. But it also means that uh, if you have such a big opportunity you have, like, like others, I mean, I'm just thinking BioNTech is another great example of a platform, yeah, uh, which, which can stand on, on its own legs. And that's really the ambition that we have as well, you know, create something that can stand on its own legs. It's very different to, to what pharma does at the moment. I think it's very complex, actually, for a pharma company um, to, to, to do a cell therapy. Um, or even, you know, uh, an mRNA uh, company. It's, it's a very different mindset. So if that's the ambition, then we need to see how we, get, get, how we can capitalize the company in order to get to the inflection points. And those inflection points uh, um, come late uh, because, you know, the revenue only comes when you've got something in the clinic that people actually pay for. So biotech, thankfully, <clears throat> has understood that concept um, and there are companies. In fact, you know, we had um, a flurry of companies going public before the markets, uh, you know, entered this very difficult uh, situation. That went into the into the public, uh, so onto the stock exchange before they, you know, even had um, a an approved therapy. So at the preclinical stage, and I think that is going to continue this idea that, you know, companies that aren't fully fledged yet, um, can, um, you know, need the public markets, the stock market to actually get to where they need uh, to be. And so, so. What, what I'm trying to say here is maybe, you know, we're not that far away from stock markets mm-hmm. uh, and, and that, of course, uh, will, will change our game. But BitBio has this other opportunity as well, creating short-term revenues using, you know, sales for research and drug discovery. So it's a really very integrated platform. So that's a long answer to your, to your one question. The second question, how do you get people aligned? Is that right?
0: Yeah, or how do you get people people attracted um, to join on that on that long journey? Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the capital, yeah. Um, what I are mean, the types of people you're looking for, and, and how do you how do you get them?
1: I think you need to be really careful. You need to really know who you want who you want on your journey, and that's really what we've learned at the early stage. Um, and for me, I think this is very groundbreaking. So you need people that have you know, a high level of resilience and, and, they, and, and, uh, and, and purpose. Um, I think the way to build, you know, effective big companies, and we're not talking about the tech because that's, 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 a, that's an essential, uh, is that you align the, the purpose of the individuals that you want to attract with the purpose of your organization. So you need a very bold vision um, that encapsulates this um, and one of the crazy things that I said in the past is Bibu is going to uh, create recreate every human cell type I mean that's insane, but actually, if you think about how we do it, just about possible and so and and it's and it's sort of insane because at the moment there are thousands of stem cell labs that are using the old way that weren't able to do that. So, so that's, that creates some tension. And of course, if you think about it, every human cell is a, protect, a potential therapy. It's a very bold mission um, uh, that, uh, that you have. And so we were looking for people whose purpose aligns with the purpose of the bias. So human cells for therapy, so you need people that either have you know, the ambition to do something with their research. I mean, lots of people really want to have impact with that alliance. You can have people who just want to build a great organization, which uh, allows to be extremely innovative, and that's their mission in life. And that they can project their, their purpose uh, onto the purpose of Bitbio as well. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, for me, you know, I'm interested in complex stuff uh, and, I, and I'd like to make a difference that, that you know, that's a, um, that's a great sort of uh, alignment as well. And then the next thing we said, OK, so now we've got these people that all have this, this sense of purpose, but you also need people that are ambitious. And there's two ways of, of ambition, of course. Selfish, ambitious, and that's what you absolutely don't want to have because it creates conflict uh, and politics, or you go for people that have an ambition to pursue their purpose. And and those, so this is the second value that we formulated in the company's purpose ambition. And then of course, because it's so complex, we needed to find people that are collaborative and trust. Trustworthy, trusting, collaborative is another, is a whole complex, isn't it? He has two, two ways of looking at trust. Um, one way of trusting, I think, is the lazy trust. I mean, the mafia has has lazy trust. You've done something good in the past, you know. Um, I I trust you. That that's lazy. Okay. But there's this other trust concept of trust where I say I trust forward. I don't know you, but I trust you. You've got ten lives, um, and, uh, and at the end of the ten lives, I'm I'm sort of I'm going to withdraw. But if you say sorry, I'll give you a life back or so. So And that basically creates, uh, you know, of course, uh, um, an environment where people are much more likely to trust each other. And it's very hard to do that. But, you know, I think that's what, another thing that we try, that I really tried to embed in the organization. And then now we've got purpose, ambition, trust and collaboration. I mean, we could be Walt Disney. So I wanted to sort of add something that's very scientific. And we said, you know, we've been empirical essentially, you know, a science driven company. And I think this is really important as well um, for, uh, you know, for, 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 I mean, I think it's important in other contexts as well, but, you know, facts above opinions, I think it's, it's really important. So these are sort of some of my learnings <laughs> on the journey. I,
0: I love that. And I love how, how deeply you're thinking about um, sort of the, the organizational design as well. Um, as i understand if i understand correctly you're you're still practicing as a as a neuroscience uh, neurosurgeon um you still have the the lab at cambridge like how do these roles also sort of intersect influence each other sort of drive drive your motivation or drive each other also
1: yeah i mean the biggest privilege i think uh i um that one can have is to actually work in a context that 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 helps patients So I'm, you know, it's a huge privilege um, that I I am able to, you know, serve patients. Um, Obviously, I've narrowed down my practice. Uh, I do something um, very, um, let's say, bespoke, Um, um, still all about spinal cord injuries. Um, So I had to sort of narrow it down for sure. Um, But it really puts me in a completely different zone. You are there. You take a very different. It's a very different mind space uh, that you're using when you operate. It's much more like painting a picture, actually. You, I mean, you, you, after certain, you know, if you do this a long time, you get you enter these flow states, and you become you know, it operates with you rather than you operate. So, um, and I think that's I've been very privileged to be, you know, supported by such an incredible team in in BitBio. That I, that for now I, I was able to continue um, um, my 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 patient uh, uh, facing um, responsibilities and the, and then of course the, the lab um, that ha, that has sparked with bio so there's you know some, some fundamental synergy anyways because you know the lab um, isn't isn't as big as it was um, but it sort of still Is a little corner where we can do a little bit more blue sky things that are maybe a bit more difficult uh, in in a sort of very streamlined uh, context so
0: impressive to see um and we didn't actually get get to talk that much about um meetable yet at all but um, maybe maybe on sort of a, a, a meta perspective, because in my view, a lot of sort of the big issues, especially if we're looking at climate change and that's where you where you're going with with meetable human health, um, they, yeah. they, they benefit from from research and entrepreneurs sort of coming together to, to tackle that. and um, I've spent a, a long time at that intersection. you've spent a long time there, like what what did you learn about that and how, how academia and, and entrepreneurship could function together? Maybe meetable is an, is an example of, of how that works well.
1: Yeah, I mean it's back to the fundamental question what can you do and what organization allows you to, to to you know I mean I think academia is great because it has this blue sky you know um especially I think um the university that, I, I mean, uh, that I'm attached to is you know is is known for early research very fundamental discoveries it's, it's I mean you can't escape uh, you know Meeting someone interesting if you just walk down the corridor—it's really, it's, it's really extraordinary. Uh, but it's, it's sort of, it's a bit more entropic, isn't it? Uh, this is an organization that goes broad. Uh, it allows people to pursue their own uh, dreams, and then once you need more people to come together, you need a different kind of organization. And and the corporation is that kind of organization that's, that's been massively f- successful. If you think about it, you know, I mean, it has also like universities; they've survived a couple of thousand years now, uh, um, or at least a thousand years. Um, the 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 corporation is also a structure that has you know evolved and survived because it now it provides a framework in which you can align uh, people to pursue uh, targeted goals. Um, in a collaborative manner, uh, and I think that's, you know, I think it's fit for what we're doing here. And so the intersection between science and it, and, and, and product, so to speak, will, will create the necessity to dissect those two different uh, organis- organizational structures. And I think it's and and I think Fraunhofer is another, another interesting example because it sits a bit more closer to that you know transition period. So so, so yeah, I think it's uh, I mean it's good that we have universities and it's good that we have companies.
0: I, I want to honor your time, but I'd, I'd I'd love to maybe have a little little outlook. What's what's next for you for for BitBio? New, new companies, new roles. Um, or um, no. your vision <laughs> no,
1: uh, no, I think no I'm, I'm very busy uh, so i'm <laughs> I'm super excited of course of what's uh, what's next. I mean we are lifting bio into you know becoming a clinical uh, company now uh, we have you know um assembled a team that can do this I'm super excited to go after cell therapies. I won't tell you what cell therapy it is at the moment, but it won't be spinal cord injury because it's just a little bit too complex um, but something else that I'm very excited about. Um, and uh, and of course, uh, we want to also, you know, broaden up uh, IP platforms. So the research side of the bio is going to grow as well. And I think this is, I mean, it's extremely exciting. It's so exciting because you ask one of the fundamental questions for the biology: what What is a cell type? What makes a cell a cell? And you have if you have the answer, it's immediately applicable. It becomes, you know, it has the potential to put to form a medicine. So so this is great. Uh, this is incredible quite frankly. And then on the meetable side, I'm also very excited because you know, being able to solve, as you said, you know, multiple planetary planetary health issues um is also um a privilege, you know. It's climate change, fifteen percent of greenhouse gases. It's high-density farming, um, which has antibiotic resistance problems. Some of, some viruses that hop from a transition from animals to humans have been, you know, part of the reason that we have these um, these endemics and pandemics. So that can be tackled, um, and then of course the cruelty aspects as well. Um, I'm still worried that it will have a massive impact on the structure of the industry, and I think we need to be very mindful. But I don't think, my hope is, and I think that that's going to pan out, you know, good farming will survive um, and and bad battery farming will be replaced. Uh, And so I think in that context, uh, I think it's going to be a valuable contribution as well.
0: I'd I'd love to talk more, but but I wanna wanna honor your time. Um, it's it's super impressive to hear both sort of on a on a technological perspective and, and the implications and the and the potential in there, but but also just your your, yeah your humility with, with building the company uh, the company and, and the people you're attracting. It sounds sounds like an amazing place place to work at. Um, and yeah, good good luck with, with that journey. And, and thank you for sharing your time with us today.
1: Thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: Thank you, Mark.